0: Podcast is part of the sports Social Podcast network.
1: Oh, two shows in a week, your ears do not deceive you. We're back to digest another intriguing transfer deadline day that at the time of recording sees three new faces arrive at Old Trafford. Also, following yesterday's Champions League draw, we're looking at what's in store for Eric Ten Hag's men. That and your questions on episode 166 of your StrediCast. It is Sky Sports' favourite day of the year, and Manchester United have been rather busy on deadline day. Ten Hag welcomes three new players to his squad, Altai Bayindir. Sergio Reguilon and the highly anticipated Safiana Amrabat. Bayern Deer will provide a backup to Andre Onana in goal, with Reguilon arriving as a defensive option on the left. That is, of course, following injuries to Luke Shaw and Tyrell Malasia, with Alvaro Fernandez departing on loan. We're going to have a little bit more on that later on. Amrabat has also arrived on loan, and there is an option to buy to supply additional midfield strength and depth. Now, without focusing too much on the nature of the deals as of yet, how do you rate the club's business today, Dale?
0: Yeah, I think Sean, I think we covered some areas that needed address now, right? Like the goalkeeper, we need to replace the Heia. We did that with a very good goalkeeper and a goalkeeper 10. I wanted midfield. I'm not sure we got exactly what we needed. It was Something that is going to definitely help us um at some stage this season when we when we we have our full we our full team together. Um, and then a striker which we've desperately needed too but we're still lacking in that department so yeah, it, a bit hit and miss and kind of on the fence about it to be honest I'd say maybe I'd give it an 8, maybe no a 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10, is that kind?
1: And that's that's the transfer window as a whole that's not looking, yeah. we'll say a, today you're talking about from day 1 to we'll say 12 yeah. o'clock tonight assuming that we don't sign anybody else you're thinking think about think an I, 8 or a 9 out of 10?
0: Maybe a 7, So I think a 7 is fair Okay,
1: and with the three men that have arrived today, how are you feeling about, I suppose, the impact that they can have on the squad, particularly that of Amrabat?
0: Yeah, well, Amrabat is, I think, look from the first three games this season, we've all kind of complained about the way the midfield has been overrun, the way Casemiro looks completely a shadow of his former self, and I don't think that's just down to him. I think that's the way the games have gone, the way we've been set up. And most fans seeing that would say, that Where's this defensive field? Where's this player that can play number six? So here he is. Um, absolutely delighted that we finally got that. But the, the annoying thing is, we've known all summer that he was one of Ten Hag's primary targets for that role. Why has it taken so long for a deal that's not like mega money? We're talking in. You know, is it a loan then an option for next season? So why has this taken so long to get it to get over the line when it's a player Ten Hag is needed? I'm kind of thinking this should have been done before the footballs before the season start. Reports are probably suggesting that they were, I suppose, typically looking
1: for a cheaper alternative, which is something that we'll dive into a little bit later on. But Brian, when we're looking at these three players, obviously we needed a backup goalkeeper. I know we spoke in great detail during the week about Alvaro Fernandez and his potential future. We have seen Regulan coming into bolster that left-back. How do you feel about it all?
2: Yeah, um I think, like, like Dale said, it is a bit hit and miss. Um, I'm definitely pissed off with, with the Amrabat situation. The fact that he hasn't had a pre-season is a bit of a nightmare for us. He hasn't really trained. um he, I don't think he's registered in time to play you know, for the weekend, but he wouldn't be ready either way, match fitness-wise. So He's not a guy who can come in and change things straight away, even though he is a very... Or we hope he's going to be a very effective player for our midfield, he should help Casemiro quite a lot, he's a hard tackling, great passing range good good work rate type midfielder, just a kind of general all-round good battler inside in the middle, something we've been missing for quite a while, even though or sorry, not something we've been missing outside of Casemiro but someone missing beside him, Do you know, someone that's kind of that well-rounded, able to attack, really aggressive in the defensive side Um, good lad to get stuck in, good signing but like Dale said, why was this not done a long time ago, I mean it isn't a big money signing. It's a loan. He hasn't had a, a pre season to train. He's basically put a, a Man United flag out in his front garden and said, I'm going to nobody else but you. Come and get me. We know that Ten Hag wanted him. It's it's mind blowing that we've we've wasted so much time in this transfer window. Um, Reg Young coming in, I'm underwhelmed with it. I won't lie. I was just coming to terms with Couturella coming in, who I think is a better left back. Um, I'm not sure about this Reg Young guy. I mean, he's been in a shadow of his former self at Spurs, was he second or third choice at, at best? Is that is that where we're at? Are we signing third 3rd third rate Spurs left-backs to try and plug a gap? It's a bit pinny-pinching. It's a bit of a piss-take, if I'm honest about it. Um, the keeper is a kind of a non-entity. It's a backup keeper. I don't think we'll see a whole pile of them um but we needed obviously someone to come in with Dean Henderson going out so like his signing it wasn't really up up or down either way it's it's just a a gap filler or, or a a squad filling position really hopefully he can come in if he, need, he needs to be in play as well but it's been an underwhelming transfer deadline day for me outside the signing of Amrabat being someone I I'm, I'm excited to see coming in and I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do and what he can add to the team and what dynamic he adds to our, our play going forward does it change Tin Hag's style of play slightly does the ability to have someone sitting beside Casemiro, does it shuffle around the Bruno and Mount situation remains to be seen. Is Tin Hag headstrong enough that he wants to plough on ahead with his inverted full his Mount and Bruno playing off each other ahead of Casemiro, is he going to just stick that and see what happens? Is Amrabac going to come in and cover for Casemiro or is he going to come in and be first team next to Casemiro? It's, it's intriguing, it's interesting, I'm excited to see what happens, I'm excited to see how the season plays out in that level. But I don't think it's a transfer deadline window or transfer window deadline. So deadline day, sorry. That's very exciting. Um, it's exposed. It's exposed the owners for two decades, nearly, of of bullshit ownership and, and terrible planning, terrible financial behaviour, and it's putting us under stress. FFP questions coming in left, right, and centre. Um, it's it's just it's a bit. It's really it really is a bit annoying to see that we're we're in that position, a club our stature going out looking for cheap loan deals to plug gaps. So it's nothing special. Amorbat's probably the, the diamond of the whole lot of it.
1: I want to maybe elaborate on, on something you both touched upon about, I suppose, the, the calamity that goes on behind this. Because as a trio, as a club, as a fan base, when we assess the window, we've seen the relatively early arrival of some key players. I think we can all agree that in Onana, Mason Mount, and obviously in, in Rasmus Hoyland there was a sense that the club were maybe starting to turn a corner and acting like the United of old in terms of dominating the market early, getting the players that were selected by the manager and I suppose integrating them into the squads were allowed to have ample preparation for the new season. I think that's how we were all feeling maybe two months ago. We then saw a playback to the transfer policies of old with an inability to shift on players due to excessive wages and a tiresome approach to deals as you've both discussed with Amrabat. Now, ultimately, we've signed four senior players permanently and two deadline day loan acquisitions. So whatever is to be said about the need for defensive assurances following a couple of notable injuries, the arrival of Amrabat in the final hours of the window simply reeks of the cancer that is ripping this club from the foundations every single year. So Brian, I wanna come back to you very quickly and given the club's necessity to comply with FFP, and the difficulty that they face as a result of a decade, or as you said, close to two decades of mismanagement, we simply witnessed yet another example of why the club is struggling to grow and even function properly as a recognised European leader under this ownership.
2: Yeah, it, it's, it massively highlights it in a big massive neon sign overhead the ground saying this club is not being managed properly. The owners don't know what they're doing. They've ran their course. They've, they've eradicated all funds that they had available to them. Most of it went into their own pocket, if we're honest about it, if whenever they could. Um, they've spent poorly over the years. They haven't identified targets very well. Our scouting system probably hasn't shown up to the, to, the mar- to the market in a way it could. I mean, when you look at the likes of Brighton, Brighton are able to go out there and pinpoint players from left, right and centre at decent money who become great players and they can sell on for profit. Obviously being signed on, on, on relatively normal contracts. We're handing out contracts, high value contracts of players that we're hoping can live up to what their expectations are. But if they don't, we're stuck with them. I mean, we've got a plethora of deadwood in the in the squad. We've had it for years. Every summer, at least me personally, every summer I'm looking at it going, here's my list of deadwood, and it's massive. It's like, it's ridiculously long for a club of our size of what we should have. Like, most clubs need to get rid of a couple of players now and again. Players get older and their their, their stock drops. But, like, we have, a, we have a shocking amount of deadwood to get rid of all the time. Even with the couple of lads we've seen go out, we still haven't managed to sell numerous players in the squad that we should be getting rid of. Players that, if we sell them, can free up funds for the manager to, to, to strengthen those key positions. Funds that can be used to to lessen the pressure of the FFP um, obligations on us. And it's just put us in a position again, right back where we are with deadline day, cheap bargain basement transfers, hoping that the manager can get the best out of these players. But like, it's putting Tin Hag under pressure again. I mean, Tin Hag's in a position where I don't think if you asked Eric Ten Hag at the start of the summer, when he saw Andrea Onana come in, Rasmus Hoyland come in, Mason Mount come in, like you said, we were excited. We're getting early business done. They're good signings. They're, they're they're strong, solid signings. This is something different. Is this the, is this what's going to happen with Ten Hag? But didn't Ten Hag get shackled and pulled right back into it, where if you asked Ten Hag two months ago, would you have any interest in signing Sergio or uh, on and... A backup keeper from Turkey for the sake of argument. The keeper he'd probably say, yeah, I take him looking if you want someone to come in and, and Dean Henderson's gone, which I'm sure none of us are really too sorry about to see him gone, you need someone to come in behind him. It's grand, it's a nothing signing really. That's no harm to the lag, but like he's not gonna take Bonanna's position ever. It's not part of the part of the plan. Would you want Serge Region Re- coming to the club? No. Why would I have any interest in signing him? He's not a player that's excelling, he's not a player that's shown promise, he's not a young kid coming through with great expectations. It's Spurs third choice left back I mean that sums everything up we're signing Spurs a team that we consider to be below us in the league and I expect them to be below us in the league this season we're signing their third choice left back I mean that in itself is shocking it's shocking behaviour from a club of our size and then on the flip side we've loaned out I'm not sure if he's gone yet or not but we're loaning out a highly rated prospect left back in an injury crisis in left back who's who's making the decisions here I mean I'm, I'm baffled
1: I do want to ask you something, Dale, but just touching on one thing you said there. Obviously, as I lined out, I'm in no way of support of how the club is being run. In the context of this left back coming in and the options that were available at this point, whatever about the absolute calamity around Amrabat and just how long it seems to have been prolonged and that really typifies just how poorly this club is being run, I do think in the situation of the letback, disregarding what you're saying about Fernandez going on loan, the injuries to Shaw and were obviously they're they're far worse than, than were perceived. And maybe there was a slight emergency that was landed at the doorstep. In that particular facet, you have to look at who's available. Ultimately, I think in Sergio Reguilon, he's probably up there with the best of a particularly mediocre bunch that were available at that time to be able to get. I'm not in any way applauding the club for doing so, but they acted quickly, they acted swiftly and it's maybe an ilk of what we saw in the earlier stage of this transfer window, that when they need to get something done, they can do it. It shows that the capability is there, which to me overemphasizes and really highlights the fact that they just don't want to do it when they don't have to do it. Is that something you go along with, Dale?
0: Well, yeah, because yet again it's like waiting for the last minute deadline day and rushing around trying to get deals done, like We've all known for the past, I don't know how many days that, well, Cucurella was on the cards, was it three, three days ago when we spoke last, or two days ago, and then all of a sudden it was Regulon. Um, I, I, I don't know, Sean, I, I just look at the, the players that we brought in. Okay, Amrabat. I'm looking forward to Um I don't think he's going to pull up trees and be one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. I don't think he's that ill like, at all. I think, he, But he will be an upgrade in what we had and a solid addition I look at the regular Um should never play for Manchester United, really. Like he hasn't he hasn't got been looking for Spurs for the past two years. And third, maybe third choice over there. But I understand why and I I get your reason that we're in a situation now with injuries. Um there's no point going out spending twenty, twenty-five million, not that we have it on a left back when Luke Shaw's gonna be coming back in Malaysia. Um, but Johnny Evans thing again. You know, I don't want to overlook everyone because this is sheer examples of glazernomics. what we've seen time and time again. These are not players that we should be signing. Really shouldn't be. You know, you look at last season, we finished third. And if you realistically look back at this transfer window and you say, right, have you bridged enough gap where you can say they're ready to compete with City? No, they're not. That's not a serious football club then. And we can't be serious. Our expectations need to be lowered while the Glazers are owners. Like, I went into this transfer window, Sean, not expecting a whole pile. I'm actually, as a matter of fact, I think we got more than what I was expecting because the club hasn't been sold. The Glazers are still there. I didn't expect a cent of the club's money to be to be, to be spent, to be quite honest. Now, 60 million. Did not see that coming. Um, I really didn't. So, look... Yeah, I just hope I just genuinely hope it's the last um last summer window or last transfer window with those gimps in charge.
2: Dale, you hit you hitting something there, I just wanted to, to to comment on. you say we're in a situation in the left back where we can't go out and spend 20, 25 million because we simply haven't got it. Does that not sum up the whole situation that a club of Manchester United yeah. size doesn't have twenty yeah. million in the bank? The like, twenty million is some a club our, a club of our size should have on the credit card as an overdraft. Like just pop it out here, we'll buy someone for twenty million. Twenty million is nothing in modern day market of football and the price players are going for to say that our club can't literally can't go out and just buy a player for 20-25 million that's a half decent potentially keep him long term left back that we have to go and sign a piss poor left back from Spurs for free well not free but on, on a loan do you know what I mean it's poor and you're you're right again you've said um, it's highlighting economics and, and the ownership I thought at the start of the window do you know like we're all kind of hypo- hypothetically thinking about this takeover and we're all kind of drip-feeding off of things journalists are giving us, which we all kind of know that no one really has a clue what's going on. But you're trying to read the signs. And I saw a splash in the cash on Onana. We splashed the cash on Mount. Splashed the cash again on Highland. I kind of started to get this little glimmer of hope that this looks like Manchester United under different ownership. As then I thought it maybe. Was this the new owners half involved in the background? Were they pulling a few strings? Was there a deal done? And then we get brought Back into reality straight away, and we're back to where we were again on deadline day. Thinking, nah, there's no new owners pulling the strings here because there's no way that new owners, if they're involved in the background, are sanctioning this kind of bullshit on on deadline day. They'd be looking to really strengthen the team, push on, try and catch City. We haven't, we haven't, I don't think we've successfully closed the gap on City this season. Um, Arsenal, debatable. I don't, I don't know. Declan Royce is a massive signing for them. I still don't think he's the world class midfielder some people do think he is but i think he'll do very very well for them but our aim in this window is to close the gap or our aim in every window if we're not winning the league if we're not top of the t- top of the table our aim every single window should be close that gap and try to get a bit closer to competing for the title and a bit closer to the team who are winning it i don't think we've achieved that
1: one thing i want to add there as well when we're talking about player dynamics and where I, I had the exact same perception as you in the early transfer window when we are starting to spend all this money that this can't be the Glazers, this, this, this isn't normal. But despite all the acquisitions that we've had and how we've bolstered a squad in various positions, because we are running deep in a lot of positions, we're still going into the, the remainder of the season with a guy, obviously, admittedly, who I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing in Rasmus Hoyland, and it looks like he's going to be available against Arsenal on Sunday. And then outside of the very young, unproven, But a guy that I am confident will have massive ability at the club. We have Anthony Marcial. How much of this came to fruition because the club were planning on Mason Greenwood coming back and having that involvement within the side and having some sort of an involvement in the attacking line? And when we're looking at this Glazeronomics and we're looking at the inability to be able to run a football club correctly, there was quite clearly a plan put in play. That this man was going to be coming back. He was going to be a part of the first team squad. And as a result, we didn't go out and actively seek another attacking option. Instead, because of the backlash that we spoke about during the week from staff, from fans, and the U turn that inevitably has taken place, are we now running ultimately short? And the natural pressure that's going to be on Hoyland's shoulders at this young age and this stage of his career is now going to be amplified by the fact that the club have made an unlimited blunder and now they're going to put all the eggs in this basket. Is that a fair analysis?
2: Yeah, uh, it is a fair analysis, and we are coming into the season short. It's it's left Rasmus Hyland, I think, in an undesirable position for a guy of his age and he, and his experience coming into the side. It's the biggest club in world football, arguably. Like We believe it is, obviously. Other fans might not. But we're top two, top three in the world. The role of being the number one striker for Manchester United is absolutely incredibly massive it's huge he's going to be under the spotlight by every single media outlet every tv show every pundit is going to be aiming for him and gunning for him if he doesn't score 30 goals this season he's a flop if he doesn't do this he's a flop if he's not achieved this and achieved that within six months or three months he's a flop the reality is this kid's going to take time he's going to need time he's going to need patience from the fan base a fan base that's fractured and toxic at times he's going to need patience from the club and from his manager who I'm sure is going to give it to him. But you said his backup, the plan B up front is Anthony Martial who, aside from the fact he's made a shred of wheat, he hasn't really backed up his potential or his ability for the last few seasons. He doesn't add enough to the squad. He doesn't doesn't supply the goals or or the work rate or the assists, the link-up play. He just isn't enough of a strong part of the squad to go, yeah, he's okay to come in if if Hoyland is injured or if he's suspended or or for rotation or he's tired or whatnot. So we did need a second striker. But again, if we can't spend 20 million on a left-back, we can't be expected to go out and spend 50, 60, 70, 80 million on a striker. So it's all part of this spider web of Glazer issues that develop to leave us in a position where our, our manager's hamstrung by what he can and can't do in the market the green would think yeah i would say that they were planning for him to come back the fact that he's now not coming back they didn't have the money to go back in the market to sign a striker sadly and it is a sad state of affairs i was hoping that today we would sign a, a cavani-esque zlatan-esque striker and uh, igallo-esque striker in the market because i think we need one it's 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 a desperation signing more than anything else i think highland's going to be under so much pressure that he, he just doesn't have backup. He just doesn't have a rotation option to take a break and get him, out of, get him out of the spotlight for two or three games if things aren't going too well. You can't put Rashford up front. It doesn't work. We've seen it. Rashford plays his best football off the left. His most productive football off the left. Self-admittedly, he said to Gary Neville one time, I want to play on the left. It's where I, 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 I know how to play. I don't know the runs of a striker. I know naturally make the right runs and the right decisions up front. I want to play on the left-hand side. So You've got a guy who's telling you, I don't want to play there but we're forced into playing there because we don't have any other option it's, it's a merry-go-round and a myriad of terrible decisions from the very very top which leaves a manager in a in a position that I really I, I don't envy him I don't envy Ten Hag because at the end of the day if he doesn't deliver questions will be asked but how often have we said it's not the manager's fault in, over the last four or five managers it's the same old story and the same old same old issues now I know we're sounding a bit doomsday-esque on this podcast at the moment Things aren't all that bad, but it is I think it is fair to be a little bit pissed off at the end of the window and what Tin Hag has to work with for the season going forward.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think with the whole idea of signing Erasmus Highland and a player in the early twenties or even you could have signed the player in the mid twenties and they'd be saying the same thing, but we wanted to come out of this cycle of of going down that route of a of a Slatan or a cavani that's mid thirties, because all that was doing for United was it meant two years later you're back in the same position you need to replace him you need a new striker because you're hoping rasmus highland that <clears throat> he comes in and down the line he is the main man but as you're both alluding to he's the only one we've got you know he's the only one we've we've got and i think that responsibility on him is absolutely ridiculous at that, that had his age um we're in the champions league now the expectations at united since last season are are up up another level again um and as as you'll said, Brian, um, with the media and that, they we call him a floppy who doesn't get 30 goals. Now, podcasts like like ours with, with people that sit down and, 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 and watch games and watch United with more of a reason take, Um, we won't obviously do that. We're not going to be expecting him to fucking light up the world immediately. And But I, but I do expect a vast improvement in what we've seen because we haven't had a presence up front. That alone would be a big benefit of what we've seen because Martial against um wolves until he was coming off I didn't know he was on the pitch. Um and in the first two games we're talking Rashford up front we all agree that's um that's counterproductive actually because it, it's like playing with 11, 10 players on the pitch. Um so look we are lighting that department but I do think if he can stay fit for, for the majority of the season that he will he will bring something to us.
2: Yeah and I suppose look to look at something on a more positive Side or a positive spin after a lot of doomsday talk. There, Highland excites me. I can't wait. I can't wait to see him coming in because it's not even just the goals that he brings to the side. It's the fact that we have a, a target man, a striker, and an out and out number nine up front. The ability for him to link other players and bring other players into the game, it's a game changer for us. We haven't had that in so long. We haven't had someone that can back the goal, pop the ball off to someone. We had Vote Fyghurst, who played All right, I suppose for us but I would expect the level that Highland's going to bring maybe not immediately maybe not now this season maybe it might be next season when he finds his stride and when he when he settles into that team and he gets to know his teammates and the runs become second nature and he expects to see Rashford flying past his shoulder on this side or Anthony doing this the fact that he can bring so many other players into the side it should up their stats it should mean Rashford scores that extra couple of goals a season because he's playing off of him. Anthony gets more involved. Bruno, massively so. The the relationship between between him and Bruno, if that can click, it's going to cause teams havoc because Bruno is an extremely good lad for creating chances all over the pitch. Loves getting involved up front. If he's able to play off of the likes of Hoyland, which he has never been able to do with the likes of Anthony Martial because he doesn't play that way. He's not a back-to-goal striker or a guy who has the the physical presence that Hoyland has or we're led to believe, in, and we've seen from his previous clips and his previous games, he's a strong lad. He's a big lad. He's able to mix it up. He's able to get involved. He's powerful. He's fast. He should, hopefully, bring so many more of our of our midfield and our wide lads into the game. It should revolutionise our attack in such a way that we haven't seen him for many years. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to see him. I hope he can handle the pressure because the pressure will be immense. But my, my point, sorry Dale, on... on on an aging striker it wasn't so much an aging striker to come in as the main man which Latam did and and Cavani did when we signed them they were they were signed instead of a highland i was hoping we'd sign highland and one of those just as a kind of a a, a plan b option or, or a cover option
0: i think that would change if they'd done that i think that would have been enough to change a lot of people's opinion on this window especially the move today um because that bit of security we just don't have it and i think that it, it, Throughout the season, it's going to come back to fighters in the arse. I think
1: ultimately, as doom and gloom as all of this sounds, as you alluded to before you began speaking last, Brian, there is positives to take from this. And when we are analysing our striker, we might have all of our eggs in a very, very young basket, but a striker in an Eric Tenghag system is required to be a notable pressing machine. This is something I have wrote about recently, and that is going to allow for a high-intensity Pressure on the opposition, it's going to disrupt holdout play. Now, you spoke about Vaguehorst. Vaguehorst was incredibly wasteful in front of goal, and it wasn't for want of trying. But obviously, his work rate, his dedication, and his desire to play for the badge was notable. And every single supporter that was in every ground always understood that he wasn't standing around scratching himself. He was genuinely trying. It's just unfortunately, he could have been there for two hours and he wouldn't hit the back of the net. I think the differential we have here is that Hoyland is versatile. He's able to dribble. He can press. His finishing as well. I want to touch upon something that I wrote about the other day. It's incredibly credible. Now, I know you're not overly fond of percentages, right, Brian? But I'm going to give you some because I like working in percentile because the numbers don't lie. And he ranked in the 92 percentile, meaning he was in the top 8% of strikers across the top five leagues in Europe for his shots on target last season. He was in the 79 percentile for goals per shot ratio. And furthermore, He was in the top 82 percentile for non-penalty expected goals last season. This is a young lad who, even though he didn't have the underlying figures of hitting 20, 30, 40 goals, this is a guy who gets himself into the right areas. He's very clinical of what he does. And as you also alluded to with Bruno, and I will add Mount in there, because Mount is going to add a whole new dynamic level of creativity to this side. We're going to have an abundance of chances for the young man. But as well as that, his hold-up play is going to be invaluable with the link-up roles from marauding fullbacks for your wingers, for your midfielders running forward. And I'm so, so excited. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm incredibly excited to see him play. Furthermore, than anything, it just allows us a situation, as you said, to have a number nine who is actually a number nine operating at the club, who's been a boyhood fan. Social media posts dating back to when he was only a teen, speaking about how much he wanted United to beat Liverpool. That's a goal already, you know, so we'll take that. And the inevitable hat-trick that's going to come on Sunday when he puts Arsenal away. Now, moving swiftly along from that point, we turn our attention to the European scene and the return of Champions League football. We've got Bayern Munich, Copenhagen and Galatasaray to supply our competition in this year's Champions League. Now, for me, that is the definition of a proper European group. And we have some of the most atmospheric stadiums that are on offer with some fairly notable crowds, particularly in Turkey. The atmosphere should be amazing for every encounter and there is a real mix of technical grace as well as real dogged shin pads required kind of scenario going to be happening. Boys, it's a great one to sink your teeth into. Dale, just how excited are you for the return of Champions League football to the theatre of dreams, my friend?
0: Oh, very much so. Looking forward to the draw all day yesterday, uh, Friday. Weird time at five o'clock in the evening. So Usually they have a, like lunchtime, so you're waiting around all day for that draw and trying to pick out what, what, what teams you want to see night up against but look I, someone asked me beforehand what, what do you want and I wasn't afraid of any team going into this because the excitement of being back in the Champions League it's like give us give us your best shot you know it's it's, it's about going off and playing the likes of Bayern Munich um, and teams like that and they say the same thing about us you know playing Manchester United is, is, is a huge thing for them and coming to Old Trafford and I was visiting their place so Look, that's that's exactly what you want. right too, another big big club, um, and a little bit of history with us as well, um, and then Copenhagen. I think that's that's a place where United you know, fans will enjoy to visit as well. So yeah, all around, it's it's a good draw, and I'm delighted back in the Champions League. Brian, are you looking forward to getting on a plane and visiting the many many countries
1: on offer this year?
2: Um, I was asked beforehand what would be my perfect group, and I was so close to naming it. I wanted Bayern Munich from that pot. The Allianz Arena, a spectacular stadium to go watch football. Obviously, we have the Manchester Platz and, and the, the Memorial there, which I'm very much looking forward to going and seeing. Can't wait for a German trip. Great German beers, great history between the two clubs, and it should be a massive, massive clash. Uh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You couldn't handpick a better one. Copenhagen, fantastic, fantastic ground. I've I've looked at some of their atmosphere clips from their matches I think it's Contact Combat 12 or Contact 12 is their ultra section and they're really really feverish they're really up for it energetic group so atmosphere should be absolutely fantastic there Copenhagen is a class city so really looking forward to visiting that um, called Copenhagen from that pot and then my last pot I was hoping for Glasgow Celtic A because it's easy to get to B I thought it'd be a great atmosphere we got Galatasaray which I <laughs> I kind of wasn't really hoping for to be honest about it um, as a travelling fan, it's kind of one of those ones where you might stay in the hotel for that one, but uh, it'll be an interesting atmosphere. It'll be something that I probably personally haven't experienced myself—that kind of um, being for blood style away situation. I'm, I'm semi, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to going there, but I'm also kind of thinking, Jesus, did it have to be them? But uh, it's a, it's a mouth clash. It's an unbelievable Champions League group to get. And it's massively exciting to see Champions League football teams like Bayern Munich coming back to Old Trafford. I mean, man Old Trafford under lights, big, massive, midweek fixtures against Bayern Munich, the cold Manchester air, and and the buzz and excitement of a, of a massive game. There's nothing like it. I'm
1: there. I'm 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 there right now. But but you know, I, I saw the draw come out, and naturally, like anybody else, you're going to take to social media. Surely everyone is delighted. This is this is the the group that this is perfect. And then you see all this doom and gloom. and just What are you even following football for? All three sides, there, there's there's some sort of historic sort of feature with them all as well. Obviously, you said the memorial in and, and, and Bayern. Obviously, we have 99. Rasmus Hoyland going back to where it all started. And then obviously, Eric's famous uh, <laughs> little trip to Turkey many, many years ago. I don't think we could have asked for a better group. And ultimately, as well, importantly, and the most important thing in a football perspective, it's one that we should be getting out of. Because ultimately, if we can't get out of that group, despite the difficulties that we will face, we shouldn't be there in the first place. Now, this is a, a group that is going to provide thrills and spills. There's going to be memorable nights. There's going to be the, the, such an array of different European cultures all packed into one group of football. And it's going to mean so, so much with this new squad that we have developed and the array of different attacking players. Coming together with what I hope is going to be the manager's structural vision with his systematic approach to his formations. I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing how they actually take to the European, to the biggest, biggest scene. I mean, I can only imagine the likes of Casemiro, Vran, having experienced it time and time again, coming back and getting to do that at the Theatre of Dreams, as you said, under the lights. It's going to be spectacular. Dale, would you be thinking that we can go far in the competition this year? Do you think this is a group we can look at? And that I'm never going to look past the group, obviously, because anything can happen, particularly in Europe. but We've got a good shot in this group
0: if injuries are kind to us throughout the season, of course. Um, but we're starting the season, and they're not been too kind to us. So I think that look, if if we can get to, you look at the group stages, and you have to win all your home games. Um, you have to win all your home games, and that's manageable. Obviously, Bayern will be tough, but then away from home, we've never we've never beaten Bayern in um in Germany, so that's a bit of a problem and Galatasaray is always a difficult trip. So the first hurdle is that group stage and you get over that look, I, I think it it's it very, very much down to if we can have a, a season where we're not too hindered by say an injury crisis across our defense or you look at our midfield right now, we're signing Amrabat today, but one or two injuries and we're looking over our shoulder again thinking who are we going to slot in here and there again? And we have one of those situations in the in the Champions League. It's a competition that's not very forgiving. It's not like the Europa League where you can hopefully get, a, get get away with it. But as we've seen against Seville last season in a game which we, we should have won, in a competition we should have won, um it didn't go away. In Champions League, forget about it. You show up like that, absolutely forget about it. So I think, yeah, of course we can. Um what I'd be hoping for Sean, if we can get to the, the quarterfinals. I think I'd be quite satisfied with that in our first season back. And it's I think it's very important, too, to to make sure that we maintain this competition, that we're not dipping back out at the end of the season for Europa League. Because these players, like you're talking about Casemiro, Raphael Varane, that, that have come to Manchester United after winning several Champions Leagues. It's not just about them playing in this competition. It's about the lads that haven't won it yet and that, are, that want to win it. Because they have to get the experience. I know it it goes back to what what Jose Mourinho said a a few seasons ago and when we got knocked out of the Champions League Um, football heritage. Um, I I, I think there is something to that. And I think it's very important that we maintain the Champions League and stop this flip-flopping.
2: Yeah, you've nailed it, Dale. It's one of the most important things for me going forward for the next number of years. Stability. Stability as a Champions League club not dipping back down to six, seven, eight, having a horror season, getting us back in that position where we're season in, season out, Champions League club, attractive, very attractive to players to come to, for players to come to, should I say. Um, although our, our, our name holds weight throughout Europe for signing players, if we add, in, or add back in the ability to play in Champions League every season, a club that should go, Past knockouts, past round of sixteen, minimum quarterfinals-ish, kind of guaranteed every season again. When we get back to that level, which we're hoping to get back to quite soon, that can only be good for for our future, for our, our incoming players. It's it's magnificent experience for the players at the club, even the younger lads like the likes of Alejandro Garnacho. For Garnacho to come into a side in the Champions League like that at his age, an exciting, explosive left midfielder. Imagine him having a night in Allianz Serena scoring the winner. I mean, it's the thing, dreams are made of. This is what Sean Sean mentioned it, but this isn't what you're looking for. I mean, football's not for you. This is what it's all about. And if you don't want to be if you don't want to be competing at the top, playing the biggest teams in the biggest nights, under immense pressure, standing in the sideline or standing inside in the stands, literally shitting the brick going, I hope to God we don't get done. Let's just please get over the line and you bag a one in late late winner. It's it's boyhood dreams are made and it's every fan's dream to be in that situation it's exciting I mean I'm getting excited talking about it I really am I, I can't wait Champions League back again I hope we don't go back down to the Europa League it would be an awful kick in the teeth it would be demoralising to get knocked out of this group and go back to the Europa League again I don't want to be playing Liverpool in the Europa League it's enough to be playing them in, in, in the league it's, it's beneath us um, it's a group we should get out of I'd expect us to do Copenhagen home and away galatasaray right. If their star signing as Wilfred Zaha, I'd expect us to do them also. Bayern Munich, look at Barcelona last season. One of my, one of my highlights of the season following United was walking out at New Camp, almost got it that we didn't really do them, turn them over and really do them. We were unbelievable that night. And that's when Manchester United are at their best. That was, that's when Manchester United have always been at their best. When we play massive European ties against massive clubs in the most important of nights, it doesn't matter if you're playing Phil Jones in midfield, it doesn't matter if on is playing left-back. This is where we come to, to our four. This is where we, we raise our level and we become the force that we've always been for years and years and years. Saying this, Bayern Munich now beat us 6-0, obviously, and I'm after jinxing but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this Champions League campaign, regardless of what signings we've made and we haven't made in the summer. It all, it all nullifies. When the, when the referee blows that first whistle against Bayern Munich in Old Trafford or in the Alliance Arena, everything else becomes noise. It's just background noise. The only thing you can see and the only thing that's in your mind and your heart is watching Man United and saying, come on, we can beat these. That's what that's what we all want. So I know we get bogged down in our Glazer our issues and we get bogged down in, in signings and we get bogged down in all the rest of it. This is where the excitement comes in and this is where we should be all smiling and, and quietly happy with ourselves going football is back and we're back involved in the top competition in the world and this is where we want to be.
1: You're after stealing a march on me there, Brian. It just popped into my head when we were speaking about that Barcelona game. Nobody giving us a chance in the world. Look what happened. Look, we sat here for about 10, 15 minutes speaking about Champions League football. I wish it was tonight. I cannot wait. But I want to move on slightly because, as we know, this is a podcast dedicated to the fans of the greatest football club in the world and would be nothing without it. Now, the three of us are fans just like you, and we're always grateful for your support. We have a range of questions that we have to work through, starting with Dave Cleaver on Facebook. Dave is a regular contributor. And this one's for you, Dale. He says, I think I read that Kobe Maynard is out for a period of months. Is that true? And how good is he? And can he really command the Manchester United midfield?
0: Fantastic player. And a player that me and you, Sean, have raved about. I think we touched on him in the last episode of the podcast. Um, I think he has... A lot for someone that's 18 years of age. I think Eric Ten Hag is, I think, really excited to throw him into the team. He's made it very clear that once he does return from injury, he's going to be getting minutes. Um, As for how serious the injury is, Ten Hag has been very, very much the same on every injury since he's become United manager. He doesn't give away specific dates, doesn't give away how long he thinks the player will be out for. It's always kind of hidden. Um, but I would I would be very surprised if it is months like you say. I think that once we come back from the international break, I think it'd be quite near um the return, to be honest. And even with some of the pictures that United are releasing on on social media on a Thursday of the training, they're very there's not many pictures. They're very careful about what players they show. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kobe was already back um training, but maybe maybe another few weeks, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say months. And I certainly hope not because, as I said, mentioned on, on the podcast during the week, I think if he if had been fit at the start of the season, we would have seen him start games um, and in probably in Brian's favourite inverted role. All right, fair enough. Now, Brian, considering
1: what we've just discussed about Europe and given your plans for the season ahead, this one is right up your alley. It comes from Damien Young, and he's asking for travelling tips for Turkey with a view to keeping fans safe. Because it isn't the most hospitable venue for travelling
2: supporters. What
1: do you think about that? I don't travel
2: with Brian, <laughs> Damien. My top tips for surviving Turkey, although it's a country I haven't been to, avoid anybody offering you hair replacements on the cheap. I don't think you should come back with the, <laughs> like these really, spearmint chewing gum. Be careful. Do your research. These are very important things. I know a lot of lads were planning and joking about it, but lads going to Turkey you could come back with a new head of hair and a new set of teeth. It's <laughs> Regarding the safety side of things, um, I can't honestly tell you I haven't been to Istanbul, I haven't been to gallad Hashroy away. I would suggest play it cool and play it safe. Um, I would plan very much myself on not being around the streets and messing around in bars and stuff, just out of common sense. Use common sense, don't be, don't get caught in the corner of a street when on your own at night and where you could get sidewinded by a few gallad fans. I'm sure they'll be out to make a name for themselves again playing a club of our stature. We're always a big scalper across Europe. So um, just keep the head down. Go to your bar, drink your drink your fill, get to the ground and get out.
1: Well, there you are, solid advice. And finally today, John Buck got in touch with me on Twitter and he asked the following. He said, considering the signings and the squad that Eric Ten Hag has available, is it now realistic for United to improve on last season's league position? I'm going to lay that out in the open and we can all have our say. Dale, what do you think? Is it realistic for United to improve on last season's league position given the signings and the squad available?
0: Yeah, of course it's realistic. It goes back to what I said about the Champions League. It, it depends on our injury crisis and, and how, how we've how we managed to manoeuvre that throughout the season and as well as that, Sean, the other teams that we're competing with and who else has a, has a bad um, season when it comes to injuries. I think we can build on And I look at Arsenal. And you wonder, can they build on what they did last season? I don't think so. I think they have bought better players. I think expectations are much higher for them. Um, but we are definitely capable of competing with them if we don't, if we don't, you know, do what we did last season in the sense of letting that gap get so big, and then being out of the race by come a month or two after, or a few weeks after Christmas. We can't let that happen this season, I and mean, we want to be part of the race come. The last month or two, um, 100%. Can we build on what we did last season? It's, it's, it's a tough one because are you asking if we are you saying that if we don't build on that third place finish and we don't finish a second or first, are you saying then that's a, a failure? Because I don't think it is. I think looking at how we started this season uh, and we've spoken about injuries already, my expectations for the Premier League have kind of gone back to where they were last year. And I would say I'd be very happy if Manchester United can get into the top four. I think we're well able to do that. But if we finished fourth place or we finished third where we did last season, um, I won't be too arsed about that, to be honest. Something that you and I have discussed
1: for many, many years on Strategy and it's something that we've all discussed privately in messages, is that year on year, obviously we we've we've gone through Solskjaer, we've gone through the managers before Solskjaer. And all we want to see every single year is progress. As long as we can progress season on season, it's showing that the work that's going in is is, is actually reaping reward. Now, last year, we got a third place finish. We got two domestic finals, winning one. And a lot of people thought we were going to get slapped silly in the FA Cup final. And ultimately, we didn't get slapped silly. We fell behind to a, a wonder strike within a matter of seconds. And I thought there was opportunities, particularly when Ganacho came off the bench, because Ultimately, I feel right now at that stage in his career, that's where he really, really thrives. In this side, he's coming off the bench with 15 20 minutes to go, full of speed, full of juice, running at the tired back line. And he's he terrorizes them, and he was fantastic in the FA Cup final. When we're looking at this year, obviously, we have the progression from Europa League to Champions League. You've said you'd be happy with a quarterfinal place. I mean, if we get to the quarterfinal, we've got to the knockout stages, then at that particular point, it's all about the luck of the draw, isn't it? It's who you get, it's what team you come up against, and what sort of cathedral you're going to be placed in on what night and what variables fall down with injuries. In terms of progression in the league, I suppose we're looking at closing the gap on first, ultimately. We're looking at Pippen Arsenal in the second place and ultimately putting ourselves into a title race contention. That that, that our name is there. I mean, we just want to be there, thereabouts. I don't think anybody is really getting ahead of themselves, anyone realistic that this is a squad assembled right now that can go for everything and we're on for the treble. It's not like that because ultimately the manager is still taking baby steps of what he's doing. We want to be able to continue this great success that we've had in the domestic cups over the last 12 months. And I think Eric Ten Hag has shown us that it's something we've discussed before guys, that he appears to be a man who is determined to compete at full throttle, no matter what the competition is. And as long as we can see some form of progression on last year, I'll be happy. You going along with that till?
0: Yeah, but just, just touching on and not being smart or disregarding the question but isn't it fine margins when 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 you do finish in that top four, say finishing four, finishing third, finishing second? It's all the one. You're not finishing first. You know, once you get into that top four, and you're in the Champions League. It doesn't really matter. I think what what we're what we're boiling it down to, and what we touched on at the end of last season as well, and the progress that we want to see is we want to be competing. So whether we finish third or we finish fourth, as long as we're in that picture at the end of, at the end of the season, where we're in amongst it, and still something to play for, and it's still excitement looking at the fixtures and having a look around it and see who our rivals are playing, still part of that kind of that running, um, I'd be happy. But I think it's fine margins when you try and put it down to, you know, can we, can we can we really jump up there from third to second? Well, what's the point? You know, you don't get any more for it. Um, I think we need to be competing. We need to be yeah. there with City, um, and with with new owners. I'm hoping with the next transfer window, we're doing this next year, that we're talking about a transfer window where we really look like a team club that is trying to bridge that gap. I know that we all know the manager is trying to. We all know he's pulling every string out of the book he can to make it possible, but the the structure is not there. we We, we should not forget that this season when when things when we go through a, a slump here and there, the structure is not there for the manager and the owners. Clearly for the past 18 years are the wrong owners.
2: I think we also have to look at things in a realistic, a realistic perspective. Look at who we're up against. I mean, as much as it kills us to say, men city here a machine at the moment, they're a well-oiled machine. They're, they're a side that resemble us at our pump in a sense that they're a, they're a, a ready-made starting 11, great backup coming in. They're identifying key targets for key positions but they don't need to go out and perform open heart surgery they just need to keep themselves taking over they're replacing good players with good players it's easier to bring players into a side that's already functioning as we've always seen throughout the years Fergie's best years you can you can introduce a young lad at left midfield up front whatever, because he's surrounded by 10 other players that are settled and know their job and they're talented and gifted enough that they're winning titles this is what we're up against at the moment with City as much as I can't stand looking at them doing it we have to, ta- have to face facts they're there so, we, we need to look at trying to close the gap in them. I don't think anybody, if they were brutally honest with themselves, sees our squad capable of going toe-to-toe with City for the title at the moment. Not right now. Ralph Ragnick, a, a manager, a loosely termed manager, made a statement that we needed 10 players. It was heart surgery, it was this or that. He wasn't wrong. One of the, He got a lot of things wrong, don't He got a lot of things wrong on the football field. He wasn't wrong in his assessment of the squad. So Ten Hag's had a season to try and and repair things, but Rome wasn't built in a day. To kind of a a really cringy phrase, but you've got to give him time. If we can get through this season, like think football's about silverware. End of the day, it's about what you win. If you win something brilliant, if you don't, you don't. We need to win a trophy. Be it the Carabao Cup again, be it the FA Cup, whatever it is. You keep a little trophy ticking over there, season on season. It keeps fans happy, keeps players happy. You get those big days out. You get those exciting finals. You start building on your on your, build on your, your progress and building on your work from the season before and the, and the summer transfer windows. It's a horrible word. I, I'm sick of the shit of saying it or, or hearing it. But it is a process. It is. It's, it's a fact. It is a process you have to follow. You've got to try and rebuild. And we've been rebuilding for so long. That we're now in a stage where we're hoping that Hag is the final piece of the jigsaw that can perform a rebuild, hopefully under new owners, under a better structure above him, that can reintroduce that, that arrogance to our side where we're good enough that we can go out and just blow the, the mediocre sides away. We're competing for everything. We're involved. As Sean said, we're involved. You want to be in the equation. You want to be in the discussion. I don't want to come to next February, Valentine's Day next year, I look at the fixtures and go, they're all dead robbers because we're fucked. We're not going to do end of the season. I still want to have a bit of hope, a bit of a glimmer of hope that we could maybe pip them to the title. I know it's a bit of a dream at the moment. We're not, we're not at that level, but you still want a bit of belief. You still want to have that little, that little boy inside thinking, yeah, we can pull off a miracle. We can, we can beat him. And on our day, we can. On our day, we can beat any given team. Um, I still think we're more of a cup side at the moment for for actual trophies. I don't think we've closed the gap squad-wise on City. I don't think there's not anyone stopping City this season again. To be honest with you, they're, Erling Haaland is just—he's a, a robot. He's a machine. He's—he's he's broken records. He's an, a goal-scoring phenomenon, and he's going to be the same again this season. There's no point looking at it otherwise. Very hard to catch a side with that kind of power up front, and that kind of—the way their team is playing. They're—they're they're in their pomp. They're—they're they're arrogant. They're—they're they're giddy. They're happy. They're all smiling. There's no major troubles. It's easy to be a good side when you're in that kind of environment. It's not so easy to be in our situation where you're trying to catch up. You're coming off a couple of bad years. You're coming off a load of manager changes, players coming in and out, issues with players off the field, bad signings. We have a lot of shit going behind us that we need to put away. We have a lot of stuff to recover. But Ten Hag's done a great job. Last season was, for me as a fan, last season was fantastic. It was brilliant. It was more than I thought we'd achieve when he came in first. If he can get us back top four, that was my minimum expectation. He gave us that. He gave us two finals, a win. We choked in the Europa League against a side who must have some sort of voodoo doll with Manchester on it because we just can't seem to get past them. They're specialists in the Europa League. I still haven't really stomached that defeat. It was one of my worst moments last season, walking away from that ground, knowing that we should and could have got past them. We threw it away in the first leg. Maybe a bit of naivety in the first leg not to kill them off. It is what it is we'll learn and we'll move on from it but expectations like dale said it's not a scientific situation it's not just mathematical first second third fourth it's not there's more to it than that if we can finish the season ten hag's new system that he wants to bring in which i'm still sean is still trying to explain to me off podcast because i'm not still can't get it quite but if his system works and we can find an identity we can finish the season knowing what kind of football we play what kind of team we are what kind of roles each player has in it. We have an identity going forward to build on. And this is the kind of team we are. This is the style of football we play. Fans are happy. What we achieve is a byproduct of how, how the team performs and buys into the system. And if it works, if it doesn't work by the way, we're fucked. Pardon my French. If it doesn't work, we're in trouble because he's building a team to play his system. So all the eggs are in the basket of making sure he's right with what he's doing. Hope really hope he is. I've full trust in him that he that he can do it. But you've got to be patient. I mean Look at Arsenal, for example. Arteta, Arteta out, was trending on Twitter for how long? How many videos did we see of our fans screaming, "He has to go. Time is up, Jeff. He's got to go." Now he's the messiah. Patience is key. It's something in football that we haven't seen in recent years. Chelsea probably the biggest criminals for it. Patience, backing a football manager, has become so, so hard to find in a club. We need patience. We need to sit back and say, "Right, this lad is doing what he's doing. Give him time." If it doesn't go. 100% to plan this, so, this season. It's not the end of the world. There's a long game of play to get back to the top and become our year-in, year-out powerhouse. It doesn't happen in one season or two seasons. So, if, as, as, long as, as Dale said, as long as we finish top four, I'm happy. We're, we're still in the Champions League. Add a cup to it, it's a successful season for me again this season. I'm building it again next year.
0: I think as well, with the second season, you touched on how we how raised expectations last year. But, we do expect a bit better this time around. As you mentioned, we have to be winning. We think we have to be winning a trophy. Like, trophy is, you know, a, Car- a Carabao Cup will keep us very, very happy. We're in the Champions League competing in that and qualify for it again next season. But with that, I think it's it is inevitable that the scrutiny w- will rise on Eric Ten Hag. Um, you know, he won't be forgiven for some of the things that I think we kind of we let kind of. Go over our heads last season. That that away home, that away from home record, and um, that needs to be addressed, especially against the big, the big teams. And we've already started the season get, losing against Spurs away from home. We're going to this weekend the way it's Arsenal, and then, you know we could could be easily coming back to your podcast next week and talking about two big away games that we've that we've lost already. So th- there will be things that that I am looking at this year, hoping for an improvement. That away form is definitely one of them. Because it's something that, you know, it's easy to kind of call that it needs to be improved from last year. It was, it was desperate. Because I think about it as well. Sorry, just just elaborate on that. Our, away, our home farm last season was, was second to none. And to go out and to repeat that again is going to be very, very difficult. So if our away farm doesn't improve, the big ask to get that away farm as good as it was last year, I think.
1: What we need to do is we need to find some sort of a middle ground between Olegun or Solskjaer's away supremos and Eric Ten Hag's home supremos, yes. and then and then we have a fine balance. So bring back,
0: bring Oli for the away game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so basically, what I'm taking from all this, we're winning the lot, we're winning the treble, where we it's it's all wrapped up. We might as well just pack it in right now, lads. As always, a pleasure. That is everything for today, and as we head into the huge weekend fixture against Arsenal. If you're wondering why we haven't really gone into great detail about that, it's because we already have. Be sure to listen back to the midweek episode right before Sunday's game to catch up with all the news that you need. And as always, a pleasure to share my evening with these two guys. Brian, how can people get in touch with you across your socials, my friend?
2: At DayTrippingRed on Twitter. And that's probably the only place you're going to find me.
1: Lovely. And you can reach me on the same platform at seanconnolly 85 and last, but most certainly not least, Dale. How can people get in touch, my boy?
0: You can find me on Twitter at O'Donnell Dale. And of course, you can get in touch with the podcast at dale at strephingnews.com. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and ACAS. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.